that we can look back at it and be super critical of like yeah you know like her and again we'll get into this but like her body was not attainable and like mm. it was all very white and there's all these other things but just the fact that like there she was trying to show the younger generation that like you can be more than just what is being told to you like than what you the this hole that you're being put totally. into yeah, yeah. Welcome to The Scaries, brought to you by Racer Co. I'm Skye. And I'm Talitha. We are proudly broadcasting from Treaty 4 territory. In each episode, we tackle alarming, inconceivable, questionable, shocking, and scary statistics relating to, impacting, and intervening with the lives of women and girls worldwide. You'll hear the scary truth, takeaway tools, tips, and learn what you can do about it. And The Scaries is an opportunity to raise awareness, share resources, and use our voices, our collective voices as women and supporters of women to make some real change. Um, the views on this podcast are solely our own opinions, and this is for entertainment purposes only. And please note that we will be sharing some content that may be triggering, so listen with caution. As straight, cisgendered, white, able-bodied settler women, we are aware of the privilege that we have, and we want to use this platform to spread awareness about the scary reality women from around the world face in different life situations. Why? Because sometimes nothing is scarier than being a woman. So welcome to episode five. We are fully, we have pink drinks and we have a disco ball and it is fully just like a big old party in here. It's girl's night. It is girl's night. Every night's girl's night. That's true. Every night is girl's night. So maybe it's time to to do something about mm. it. Um, and hit nudge, nudge. Yes. Skylar, if you are not watching the video, Skylar is wearing one of our new sweaters that we have uh, that is Barbie inspired. Um, mm. And it is, uh, it's, a, it's, I mean, it's a really comfy sweater regardless, but it's like pink and every, it says every night is girls night. It's time, uh, which is like our call to action. Of it's time to do something about the inequalities, the inequities, the injustices that are happening in the world. Uh, so, I mean, if you don't know that about us, now you do, because <laughs> that's what we like to talk about. Uh, so, Sky, why are we wearing so much pink, and why do we have a disco ball and all that stuff? Well, if you have not guessed yet, we will be talking today about Barbie. We're really excited. excited. It's a super fun topic, as I'm sure you're all super excited for as well. It kind of just like resurfaced, I would say, this past year with the movie that mm -hmm. just came out. Um, but we will be doing a, ser a Barbie series, talking about kind of the birth of Barbie all the way to the movie and how it's shaped and how it's changed things and how mm -hmm. even mindsets around Barbie have changed all along the way. So get ready for a wild ride. It's going to be super fun uh -huh. and lots of pink. There's going to be so much pink. Yes. So do you remember when you got your first Barbie? Uh, I actually don't. I feel like Barbie has just always been like in my childhood. I don't actually remember the first Barbie that I got because I probably I was like three when I got it. Yeah. Um, but I definitely have some like very special ones that I still remember and oh, like had I mean, I bought into like I needed all of the clothes and all of the things, like all oh, of the accessories. Totally. My most favorite thing I got from Santa one year was um, the camper minivan. Oh yeah, that you could like. I feel like Eden has that. Like my daughter yeah. has that. <laughs> like right now, when my son goes over to my parents' house and he plays with it, and I'm like, "That's yeah. that's nostalgic, baby." Like totally. It's just like all the little camping gear. Anyways, that was like my favorite thing. So yeah, I don't remember the first one I had, but. I don't know. Do you remember the first Not one? Not the first one. I had an older sister. So I yeah, had oh, like yeah. a million Barbies before I even knew they, she's five years older. So she had Barbies galore. Like yeah. I've known them before I could talk kind totally. of thing. And every, every kind of type of Barbie, all mm -hmm. like Skipper and what is the little one's name? Um, Stacy. And there's a little Kelly. 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 I right, loved Kelly. Yeah, yeah. Like the littlest one growing up. Um, but no, I feel like we had them all. My favorite one was probably, I feel like I had a mermaid that like her bottom changed color. Like when you got her wet, she like her fins changed color. And I don't know. Oh so God. many cool things. So but yeah, I would spend, yeah. me and my sister would spend hours playing with Barbies. I don't tell you. It's uh, just, it's so different now. I feel it's, I mean, obviously we're going to get into it, but like, yeah. I just feel like for our generation, especially, it was just something that you had. Every mm -hmm. single person had a Barbie yeah. and 
yeah, it was just like a part of our culture and our society, which I think is obviously why we're going to do this episode and this series, because uh, it's, I think, definitely shaped generations. Um, so first, actually, we normally do this with guests, but I wanted to ask you some would you rathers. Sure. Just so, me? Are we going to Like, we're going to do it together. Okay. Yeah, we'll do them together. <laughs> but like, we can ask the question. But I know that we just normally do this with guests. But I was like, mm, this is a fun one. I love would you rather. Okay, so would you rather wear heels or Birkenstocks? This is like a shout out to the movie because obviously, yeah, honestly, probably heels. I don't. I'm not a big Birkenstock person. Oh, see, and I absolutely knew that you were going to pick that, yeah. and I'm absolutely the opposite. <laughs> and I would totally pick Birkenstocks. I don't have Birkenstocks. I have like knockoffs that are five yeah, dollars, yeah. but no. Oh no, they hurt my feet for some reason. I can't, like, I never wear them enough to like work them into like mold to your feet. Oh, see, and like heels hurt my feet. What's well, the, I, I guess that... true, but I don't know. I just find I don't know. I feel different when I wear them. There's like the, I mean, I think that there's that thing of like, it's, you know, like makes you feel a certain way yeah, and like yeah. changes the way you walk and everything. Um, there's like that quote from Barbie that says, if, if my shaped were feet like this, like if my feet were shaped like this, I would never wear heels. And I feel like that's my totally, feet. They're not yeah, meant like, to wear heels. Yeah, no, it's definitely not a comfort choice, but no. Mindset shift. That's true. I like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, the next one is, would you rather have Barbie's influence in promoting STEM? So science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, uh, promoting STEM education globally, or her impact in breaking gender stereotypes in various careers? I feel like the last one, because it's all like various careers versus just uh -huh. one type of career. Yeah. And I feel like you could do that for STEM as well as other yeah. industries. And we talked about this in our last episode of like the gender pay gap and mm -hmm. how there are like those male dominant career, careers like STEM are those ones that, you know, Barbie's seen in, which is great. Oh, yeah. And from uh, like before they were even, women were even in them, Barbie yeah. was, there she was, was a Barbie of that. So yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like the second one just because it's broader would have a broader impact. Okay. Yeah, no, I like that. I would agree too. Yeah. Um, okay. The next one is, would you rather work with Barbie to address and improve upon body image representation in dolls or collaborate on initiatives to ensure cultural diversity and inclusivity in Barbie's product line? You know what? I'm not, I'm going to break the rules here, but I feel like you can do both. Yeah. Right. Like everybody has a body. So why yeah. can't we show different body types and also show different, you know, skin tones and different looks like yeah. it doesn't, you know Abilities, what I mean? You don't have to that. choose just body and, or just different ethnicities. Like, why can't we do both at the same time? Yeah. It's 2020, soon to be 2024. Like Almost we have the technology to make a variety of changes at the same time. So yeah. I'm going to push for all of it. Okay. You're breaking the would you rather rules, yeah. but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. And last one is, would you rather support Barbie in her efforts to overcome criticism regarding unrealistic beauty standards by promoting a wider range of body types and features, or would you join her in advocating for more gender neutral toy options? Would you rather support her in her efforts to, what was the first Overcome word? criticism regarding overcome unrealistic criticism beauty standards so essentially like she's obviously faced barbie and all has faced a lot of criticism about the unrealistic beauty standards that exist and so like kind of what the last question was was like talking about different body types and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff or would you join her in advocating for more gender neutral toy options probably the second one because i feel like addressing criticism while it just it, her like the body type of barbie is not accessible it's not really attainable it's mm -hmm. actually not like physically impossible it's impossible yeah, yeah yeah so like the, the criticism is warranted to to be i think i mean so you can address it all you want mm -hmm, but i think mm -hmm. it's there um so i think it's more important for everyone that exists in this world to be see someone that they can play with that represents who they are and i think gender neutral barbies is a great option yeah that has never existed yet so no. yeah rather than beat a dead horse about the criticism we'll go through that <laughs> we uh, are going to beat the dead horse let's, but <laughs> move on and get into the future yeah, yeah totally okay that's fair thank you thank you for playing my game yeah and my mind fun. game <laughs> you're you're up for the next one i know i am i know so whether you want to admit it or not barbie has had a huge impact mm -hmm. on women especially us and honestly, in Western culture across the board. Mm -hmm. And it's undeniable that Barbie and her very essence has been welded into North American culture. Mm -hmm. But the question is, the million dollar question is, is her influence positive or negative? Or maybe both, but is there more than the other? We, we shall see. And you are actually not going to get the final answer no, but at you the end the of this judge. episode. You be your yes. own judge. Yeah. Um, but we're going to present all of the options, all of the, well, not all of the 
things, but a lot of the research that we found um, over the next series uh, and you will, you know, we can come to a conclusion together. Um, but to understand where we are going and how we're going to get to that conclusion, we need to know where we've been. So as we always do, we're going to take a little historical look at Barbie and understand who she is and look at what women were facing when she was introduced to understand her impact. So Barbie, full name, Barbara Melissant Roberts. Melissant. I think that's how you say it. Like, it kind of reminds me of that. I'm like, ooh, kind of like a little bit of a badass. Yeah. Um, That's her full name. Uh, Is an 11-inch tall plastic doll with the figure of an adult woman. She was introduced on March 9th, 1959 by Mattel, which is a Southern California toy company. Ruth Handler, uh, who is the co-founder of Mattel with her husband, Elliot, and then another gentleman, Harold Mattson. They founded the company in 1945. Um, um, so together they created Mattel, but Ruth actually spearheaded the introduction of the doll. So Ruth's primary inspiration for Barbie was her daughter, Barbara. Just wait. I just thought of something. Yeah. So they've launched Barbie on March 9th, which yeah. is a day after International Women's Day. Yeah. I wonder if International Women's Day was even a thing back then. Oh, I don't think so. I think okay. it just came out like in like the last like 10 years okay because yeah, i'm yeah, like yeah. that would have been not str- like why not on <laughs> yeah no totally day, but okay no no anyway, no, no. i think marketing it, brain like come on let's be strategic i know as soon as i saw that thing. i was like you guys have a missed opportunity but also totally maybe international women's day should have been on but in the March 50s 9th. probably didn't exist so yeah no 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 sense. i think yeah i think it was like in the last like 10 to 15 years i want to say no 10 years probably um, oh yeah, because it started with the like the march march in yeah Washington in, yeah okay, yeah got it so yeah. I'm pr- f- five years actually maybe I don't even know okay anyways we are <laughs> haven't done our research on yeah, that no. so part wait, wait part of that episode <laughs> yeah um so as I said Ruth's primary inspiration for Barbie was her daughter Barbara and looking at the dolls on the market at the time Barbara could only play out being a mom or a caregiver. Whereas Ruth's son's toys allowed him to imagine himself as a firefighter or an Mm. astronaut or a doctor. So leading up to the launch, Ruth was looking for a breakthrough product. She wanted to find something that was going to change the way girls looked at themselves. So the answer, she thought, was an adult doll that would inspire girls the same way action figures uh, of firefighters and soldiers encourage boys. Barbie was made to plug a gap in the toy market. I mean, really, it came down to capitalism mm-hmm. <laughs> and like mm-hmm. selling things. But uh, even above that, Ruth wanted to create a doll for girls who were too old for the popular baby dolls at the time and who wanted someone inspiring to look up to. Ruth said that the one-dimensional paper fashion dolls Barbara played with in the 1950s limited her imagination, while the three-dimensional fashion dolls, quote-unquote, were, like ch- were built like children and uh, would have looked ludicrous in a prom dress. Yeah. Absolutely Fair. ludicrous. <laughs> wearing, yeah, little babies wearing big prom dresses. Uh, so Ruth actually famously once said that little girls dream of being curvaceous, dreamy, and exciting, and they want someday to have gorgeous clothes, be chic, and look like movie stars. Which I mean, sure, yeah, yeah. That, that's your dream. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if you should say everyone wants that, but yeah, it's true. <laughs> that's yeah, where she came from. General, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, although Barbie is aimed at children, the inspiration from the toy uh, was very adult oriented. Mm-hmm. So Lily was a flirtatious gold digging sex pot, some call a call girl, who originated Whoa. as a cartoon character in a Western German newspaper. So, with her sexual banter and revealing outfits, Lily hugely became popular, and in 1955 was made into a plastic doll and was sold in stores and it was actually intended as a risque gag gift for men but the dolls the dolls soon became popular with children yeah we will actually cover this in another part of this series but the impact of this sexualization of the women of the woman body of women's bodies to young girls likely i think set us up for a lot of failure totally so this lily was before barbie lily was before barbie and she was actually modeled after Barbie was modeled Modeled after after Lily. Lily. Yeah. And then there was like, I don't, I mean, I had it in these notes and then I cut it because it was long, but I'll just give you the brief story that they actually sued Mattel, like the company who created Lily. Oh yeah. For having the original idea. Yeah. For like the likelihood, like the likeliness of Mm -hmm. it. Um, And then Mattel ended up just buying the rights to this Lily doll. And then like, I think it went away, but yeah. So so yeah, she, she was modeled like, and if you look at side by sides and we can include it here side by sides of Lily and uh, of Barbie. Like they're very, very, very similar. Um, And so naturally a not suitable for work 
doll backstory wouldn't have convinced American parents to whip out their wallets. Uh, So Barbie was actually introduced as a teen model instead. That was her Mm -hmm. first job. So Ruth shared that she wanted Barbie to be a blank canvas for children to play with. She said, when we began sculpting Barbie's face, I insisted that it not be too pretty and contain too much personality. Uh, I was worried that if she were too glamorous, little girls wouldn't be able to identify with her. And while I understand the like, that mentality having too much personality i don't like, understand what that is like how do you f- physically make too much personality i don't like, know too many facial expressions I yeah don't know. maybe i don't know <laughs> she looked too confident and yeah. had too much personality interesting um so ruth actually consulted with a psychologist during barbie's development in 1958 so the year before barbie came out they conducted a market research study and after reviewing or interviewing rather 191 girls and 45 mothers One of the findings was that the mothers criticized Barbie for having too much of a figure, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. So Mattel circumvented this problem, however, by advertising Barbie directly to children via television. Mattel, in fact, uh, ended up sponsoring Walt Disney's Mickey Mouse Club program in 1955 and became the first toy company to broadcast commercials to children. So they were like, I hear what you're saying, mom, but we're just going to go past you. We don't care. So the psychologist actually conducting the study suggested enlarging the doll's breasts, but also downplaying her sexual overtones to appeal to mothers. So they were like, she needs bigger boobs. To appeal to mothers. Yeah. Yeah. What? No, to downplaying the sexual overtones to appeal to mothers. So like bigger boobs, but don't make her so sexual. Um, that was what they came down totally to. Totally contradictory, but okay. Yeah. And then actually it, there was another part of the research and I didn't, I didn't include it, but it was like, then they, the bar, the Barbies launched and the boobs were too big. And so like Ruth had to go to this like really difficult meeting with Mattel and they went to, and they were like, boobs have to be smaller. So then she, <laughs> she was like, oh, fine. And so then she called the Japanese manufacturers and was like, you got to make the boobs like 40% smaller. And then the quote was, and then she went to her home hotel room and cried <laughs> it's like okay wow <laughs> yeah so anyways the battle of the boobs what a shame. Was, yeah it was a big thing um but since her la- launch actually barbie became a must-have toy for young girls in the u.s and beyond and according to a 1962 article by time barbie appeals to little girls because it looks grown up and to their parents uh, and to their parents because it is inexpensive i think it was like three dollars and fifty cents to buy a barbie back then mm-hmm. um Handler said that she got letters from mothers grateful to them for getting their daughters to be more conscious about style and good grooming. Important Mm. things in the 60s. Have you ever actually seen a picture of the original Barbie? I think so. I I visualize this like girl in the black and white bathing suit and the glasses or something. Yes. Yeah. 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 So we'll include a picture of it um, on the blog and also put it in the video here if you're watching. But uh, shh girlfriend was over it she side-eyed her way to the bank with her black swimsuit and 22 piece smash and said it looks like like she her eyes are just like off to the side and like so saucy i was like "Mm, girl i love too much personality yeah that was a little too much personality i think but anyways yeah so that's kind of where she originated a little bit of her backstory i mean there's there's like a whole book on her backstory so and won't get into that but let's dive into it yeah Mm. so Before we get into the intricacies of how Barbie's launch and introduction and came into Western culture and how it was revolutionary, we want to review what it was like to be a woman and girl. So what were the people going through who were in first introduced to Barbie back in the late 50s? So at that time, women's movements or feminist movements during the period of 1960 to 1985 often were often referred to as the second wave feminism. They included campaigns in support of peace and disarmament, equality in education and employment, birth control, and an end to violence against women. All things were still fighting. Still going. I was going to say that sounds like right now. (laughs) Movements also tackled women's representation in everything from advertising to dress and insisted on respect for non-mainstream identities and demanded reform of government and law. So again, Mm -hmm. great. Still happening though. Yeah. Yep. In the aftermath of World War II, the lives of women in Western countries changed dramatically. Household technology eased the burdens of homemaking, life expectancies increased dramatically, 
and the growth of the service sector opened up a thousand jobs, thousands of jobs, mm -hmm. um, not dependent on physical strength. So women were able to finally enter the workforce. Mm -hmm. So despite these socioeconomic transformations, cultural attitudes, especially those concerning women's work and, le and legal precedents still reinforce sexual inequalities. So there still was women's work versus men's work. Mm -hmm. and the majority was men's work mm -hmm. when it was outside the house. Um, the beginning of the 1960s marked the start of the women's liberation movement, though. So while the first wave of feminism of the 19th and early 20th centuries um, focused on women's legal rights, like the right to vote, mm -hmm. um, the second wave of femi feminism of the women's rights movement touched on every area of women's experience including politics, work, the family, and sexuality. Like a whole holistic look yeah. at a woman's yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. So now we can like participate as an equal recognized citizen. We can vote, but now, okay, let's get into the nitty gritty mm -hmm, of the day to day. Mm -hmm. So um, when we look at that, it's consistently largely white, well-educated women who fought for reforms such as paid maternity leave, rape, rape crisis centers and changes to abortion laws. Women also fought to strengthen and control their own bodies during this period. They had two outstanding components that they focused on. First, the demand for birth control and abortion and second, mm -hmm. the rejection of harassment and violence. So those are kind of the areas that the people fighting for this were largely white, well-educated women mm -hmm. who knew about these things in a deeply I would say like an educated way. Probably um, like, and probably also the women who were like allowed a platform to speak totally. about things too. Yeah, so. and they had the time to actually mm -hmm. go out and do this versus some other yeah like, like they're working or they're you know at home and they have you know can't get away they can't get right. a nanny or they can't get in with you know whatever mm -hmm. so yeah the privilege was still alive and well then mm -hmm. um so some noteworthy things that happened over in the 1960s include indigenous women won the right to vote in federal elections that's in 1960 this right was granted to many other canadian women in 1918 oh so they had like just what 30 years later, no, 40 years later yeah. uh, for Indigenous women. And this was then they could vote without having to abandon their Indian status. In 1964, Canadian married women were allowed to be jury members. This was also a new thing. And uh, the main reason women were kept out of the jury pools in the past is that they were considered the center of the home, which mm. was their primary responsibility as caregivers. So we can't take them away. Yeah. They were also thought to be too fragile to hear the grisly details of crime and too sympathetic by nature to be able to remain objective about the accused offenses. So yeah. too many feelings, too many, too oh, emotional yes. to really just be. Yeah. Yeah, unbiased. <laughs> uh, in 1964, we also saw that women were in, finally entitled to open a bank account without obtaining their husband's signature. In 1964, it, wow, you're allowed to. You, the privileges are amazing. So yeah. you you could have had a job before then, technically, like, but you couldn't open a bank account by yourself. Yeah, yeah. like you would need without, your, yeah, yeah, without your husband. It would signature. be like a joint account, essentially. So what happens if you weren't married? I would assume like probably a Your father dad, yeah. yeah, or like a parent. I don't know. In the States, it was not until the Equal Credit Opportunity Act of 1974, so almost yeah, 10 years later, that it became illegal to refuse a credit card to a woman based on her gender. That's crazy. Kane, also, did you know, so talking about like having ownership of things and like being able to own, have a bank account, the Barbie Dream House came out in 1962 Okay. before which means like women can buy homes that's the thought process but yeah that was two years before in canada anyways women could have their own bank account so like even that is like barbie was way ahead of her time in oh that yeah way. totally yeah what a... interesting in 1965, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission was launched in the U.S., allowing women to gain access to jobs at every corner of the U.S. economy, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. And employers with long histories of discrimination were required to provide timetables for increasing the number of women in their workforces. So that's great. I mean, Some that's like progress. really great. But like, was there actually any follow up on that? Because know. that was 1965. And like we just last episode, yeah, true. We were, we're not quite there yet <laughs> yeah. in many areas. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. The Royal Commission on the Status of Women in 1967 was chaired by Florence Bird, who um, and this was created in Canada. So this was the Royal Commission of the Status of Women. So that was, I guess, a new thing. Mm -hmm. In 1969, the Canadian Criminal Code was amended to legalize the distribution and information of on methods of contraception and their prescription, as well as sexual acts between two consenting members of the same sex. So that was 1969. It was amended mm -hmm. to legalize, basically 
gay marriage and contraception. No, not even gay marriage. Marriage was like in oh sexual acts. Sorry. Yeah, you My could bad. just you could just be just sexually allowing active. that before, before and it. for that it was a crime. Wow. But I still think even like well into the 80s and even early 90s, it was still being like people were still being arrested and like losing jobs and like different things for being gay. But anyways, that's another story. Yeah. Another another episode. Another story for another day. In 1970, they released the report from the Royal Commission of the Status of Women, which revealed disturbing findings on the discrimination faced by women. Interesting. This one isn't specifically women uh, specific, but in 1970, the Canadian Psychiatric Association removed homosexuality from its list of mental disorders. In 1970. As a mental disorder too. 50 years ago. Wow. 53, but like, come yeah. on. Um, and then in 1973, in its controversial r- ruling of Roe versus Wade, the United States Supreme Court legalized abortion. Okay. Inducing an abortion was a crime in Canada until 1988, when the Supreme Court of Canada struck down the law as unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. Since then, abortion has been legal at any stage in a women's pregnancy, and abortion is now publicly funded as a medical procedure under the Canadian Health Act. So, which is so funny, because obviously I know we're going to talk about it, but like yeah. Roe v. Wade has since been overturned. Right, yeah. Um, and, but... So although Canada was so far behind, not so far behind, but like far enough behind, like 15 years ish behind Mm -hmm. that. But now it's just like it's just considered healthcare in our country. Yeah. Like it's I mean, having access to abortion and all that kind of stuff is like still an issue. But like you can just essentially go to the doctor as you would to go get like a flu shot or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. 50 years later, it was overturned and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Insane. Anyways. So. That's just kind of like setting the tone and understanding the context of the political atmosphere, the like socialness things that women were going through at the time. Um, that Barbie was introduced to the world, and I mean it's really wild to see how far we've come, but how far we still have to go, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, with that context, we want to talk about one of the most important aspects of Barbie and one of the main reasons she was created. So, Ruth intended for a Barbie to be a doll that could provide little girls with aspirational imaginative play outside of being a wife and a mother, as we mentioned in the introduction. While Barbie's first job, a teen fashion model, might not have been a particularly empowering one, Ruth intended Barbie as a vehicle for little girls to imagine themselves working outside the home. So since that first job as teen fashion model in 1959, Barbie has had more than 250 careers. And true to Ruth's desire to inspire young girls, Barbie has often been way ahead of her times. So, for instance, in 1965, some 13 years before women were admitted to the astronaut uh, corps at NASA, Mattel introduced an astronaut Barbie. And in 2022, two Barbie dolls were actually taken to the International Space Station as part of an effort to encourage girls to pursue careers in STEM and other male-dominated fields. Okay, I have two thoughts on this. First, um, I always felt Barbie was a like a mom. I didn't think she was a teen. And how is a teen doing all these jobs? Doesn't <laughs> she go to school? Like, I know. Actually, what? reading the like teen fashion model thing was uh, interesting to me. I mean, like now I understand it because like she was appealing to young girls, so still wanted it to keep it like well, yeah, like maybe not a mom, but like but, a, like a that mom, like mother's old, age, yeah, like. Because she's tall, right? She was always the tallest. And then there was like Skipper and all the other ones. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. So I was assumed she was like the oldest female figure in yeah. whatever situation. But yeah, a teen. Then I'm like, how was she doing all these things? Going to the moon and girlfriend she must be super smart, just got her GED and moved on. She like, moved right on. Yeah. She was like, I'm going to go tackle the world. I guess. Yeah. In my, in my heels. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then on this, on the point about the moon, that she was going to the moon when women couldn't even get credit cards yeah like it's just wild but also super progressive which is great but, yeah, yeah and i think you need that kind of like and although that you know there are issues with how ruth and like her leadership approached things with barbie being such a visionary in that way was truly incredible for mm-hmm. young people at the time like and that we can look back at it and be cr- super critical of like yeah you know like her and again we'll get into this but like her body was not attainable and like mm-hmm. it was all very white and there's all these other things but just the fact that like there she was 
trying to show the younger generation that like you can be more than just what is being told to you like than what you the this hole that you're being put totally. into yeah, yeah. So uh, some other the other jobs that Barbie had, Barbie became a surgeon in 1973 when less than 10% of doctors were women. She also served in the military, joining the U.S. Army in 1989. And three years later, she became a sergeant in the Marine Corps. Nice. She just keeps on moving up. Yeah. Like she doesn't even care about ranks here. Um, did you actually know that one of the jobs Barbie never had was being a mother? Really? That was never a job. Despite requests for a mom Barbie, uh, Mattel has refused because Ruth envisioned the doll as representing the period before parenthood. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Um, but one actually one really big red flag in this inspiring history is that Barbie's 1960s empowerment largely addressed a white middle class woman who sought her own money and agency outside the home through a career. So it's again like i said it's it's a very very specific group of people that they were looking to serve yeah but and like why couldn't she be a mom and have the jobs right? well also like, that yeah. too yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 interesting so since the 1960s barbie's relationship to contemporary feminism has been less clear 1970s barbie didn't make as many new strides as 1960s barbie did um, but in 1992, Barbie joined the Woman of the Year hmm. uh, in response, or sorry, Year of the Woman, not Woman of the Year. <laughs> she joined the Year of the Woman in response to the Anita Hill hearings by running for president for the first time. Hmm. And then 1990s Barbie also became an Air Force pilot, a Naval officer, a Marine Corps sergeant, as I mentioned, an Army medic, a firefighter, a dentist, a soccer player, a NASCAR driver, a baseball player, a WNBA player, and an airline pilot. Whoa. Like, what did you do in the Go last girl. couple yeah. years? Holy. That's awesome. Honestly, I feel like a lot of the cool, my favorite thing about Barbie was her outfits. Like, having all the accessories and all the different choices oh, yeah. to, like, be whoever you want to be at any time. Yeah. Which is the best part, I thought. And the hair. Always have good, like, spa nights of the hair. Oh, yeah. Um, But, yeah. She was definitely building her resume <laughs> in the 90s, like, for sure. I thought, you know, I was doing things and like maybe felt a little bit of accomplished. And then I was like, girlfriend was a NASCAR play driver, a baseball player, <laughs> an everything. Everything you can everything. Think of. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about who like there's no women without the people in behind or totally. beside or yeah. alongside her. So let's talk about her girl gang. Yes. Okay. So how about I start it off and then I'll just pass it off to you sure, and then sure. you can finish yeah. it. Okay. So I not uh I mean a girlfriend for sure, a, a girl gang member, but we're going to start off with Ken of the situation. Mm, <laughs> so okay. one of my favorite quotes that I found while doing this research was in 1961, Mattel brought out Barbie's ultimate accessory, her boyfriend, Ken. It's mm. <laughs> like, what? He's just arm candy. Yeah. Um, so full name, Kenneth Sean Carson. I didn't even realize that he had this like full middle yeah. last name thing. Um, he was introduced as a boyfriend to Barbie after many people asked and begged for Barbie to have a man to hang out with, which I think is maybe telling of the time, but um, on a whole actually other side. So Barbie and Ken are obviously the name, like Barbie is the name mm. of um, Ruth's daughter and Ken is the name of Ruth's son. Uh, oh, okay. But like, imagine what it was like to be the Barbie in the house. Like you're like the hero and like everything else. And then poor Kenneth, like her son, he's like, just, just named like, the Barbie, the, the accessory. The accessory. <laughs> so I was like, poor guy. Um, okay. But also this is just jumping ahead, like a decade, like a half a decade or no, sorry, a half a century. Um, but did you know that in 2004, Barbie and Ken broke up? How do we know that? What happened? So at the time, the vice president of marketing at Mattel said that, Barbie and Ken feel it's time to spend some quality time apart. Like other celebrity couples, their Hollywood romance has come to an end. But the the individual indicated that the duo would remain friends. Interesting. Yeah. So she later dated Blaine, an Australian surfer. And I was like, who the heck is Blaine? Um, but then after Ken underwent a makeover that included some, spending some time in the gym, because that's, I think, what everyone wants is just for oh, the man to couple up a little yeah, bit. Again, with the arm candy. It's yeah. about that. Yeah. Uh, he ended up winning Barbie back in 20. 11 yeah uh -huh. i had no idea that they broke up i was like why is this not international news well like the biggest couple of the century 
Well, and because you know? Ken was always like we talk, we'll talk about Barbie and then all her like sisters and all her friends. But usually, like, I don't know why. I just thought everyone was Barbie, but Barbie had different skin colors and different yeah, hair yeah, yeah. and whatever, but they were all just Barbie. Yeah. Um, because we still called them Barbies, yeah, even yeah, if yeah. they were like a different name. So I don't know why. And then Ken, I'm like, I just assumed all the boy Barbies were Ken's. They are. Except for like Blaine and well, except for Blaine, I don't know, and Alan, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Weird, interesting. Yeah, it's uh, the like understanding the intricacies of like who Barbie is, and then who are like all of the pals who like I also thought were Barbie. Yeah, it's it's very complicated. Yeah. yeah. Um. So with talking about friends in 1963, Mattel added Barbie's best friend Midge. So let's talk about Midge for a second. Full name, Margaret Midge Hadley Sherwood, was created in 1963 as Barbie's plain Jane best friend. Hmm. We all need one of those, apparently. Uh, Far less glamorous than Barbie, Midge was intended to represent a more average, accessible American girl. Hmm. For most of her existence, Midge led a quiet, unremarkable life with her beau, Alan, uh, whose packaging described him simply as... Ken's buddy. Mm-hmm. I mean, if Ken is just the accessory, yeah. what is the accessory to the accessory? <laughs> like, uh, the plastic pair married in 1990 and enjoyed a very brief moment in the spotlight with a wedding party set released the same year. Hmm. But Midge, uh, sorry, uh, Midge and Alan's marriage opened up new avenues for the dolls, such as parenthood, which is something that Ruth didn't want for Barbie herself. Ah, so okay. she pushed it onto the sidekicks. Mm. So Mattel released the Happy Family set in 2002, featuring a pregnant Midge with infant accessories and a three-in-one crib, table, and cradle, according to the box. I think I remember that, actually. Okay, I don't know. When have... was this? The 90s? 1990. Okay. Well, oh, no, 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 no. Sorry. In 2002. Okay, yeah, I totally yeah, yeah. remember. They got married then. in 1990. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I totally remember that. Was she, I want to say redhead, Mitch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She has like red hair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I totally remember yeah. that. So with this gift set, girls have everything they need to play out the arrival of a new baby is what the box read. And perhaps taking the the happy family concept just a step too far, Midge had a detachable, magnetized pregnant belly that could fit her accompanying plastic infant. And like, it's like a, a kind of a graphic image. <laughs> like It looks know. like yeah. a one of those like dolls that you would like dissect things. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. you just take off the belly and take out the baby. It's interesting. Hmm. Midge's, Midge's delicate condition sparked immediate backlash. So many real life parents worried that Midge would first promote teen pregnancy or even single motherhood. God forbid. Uh, and according to the Associated Press, Walmart pulled pregnant Midge from shelves in December of 2002 due to the controversy because people were like, how dare you talk about teen pregnancy and single motherhood? Um, Is so she then, still a teen though? Like, don't they ever grow up? Are they stuck well, she in got, teendom I forever? I think they, they no, got she, married. She got married. Yeah. I don't actually know. I think that just because like she was pregnant and little girls play with her that it was like once you start, you know, you could have babies when you're a teenager which again but uh mattel never actually returned midge or her baby to the doll lineup so how traumatic is that also you get pregnant out of wedlock or maybe in wedlock but like your character gets killed off i like midge i don't remember being many I... them being too many um like redhead barbies either I no feel like yeah and i totally remember her because my sister was a redhead so yeah she always got to the redhead barbie yeah okay i don't remember midge but like now I want to look her up. I feel yeah, like we'll yeah. include we'll include a picture in the blog also. I hope she's just... a redhead. Otherwise I'm I don't know what I'm No, thinking. she totally is. She yeah. absolutely is. Yeah. Uh, so following our plain old friend Mitch, <laughs> Mattel <laughs> launched Barbie's little sister Skipper in 1964. And Skipper, for background, is Barbie's little sister. So I totally remember Skipper. Uh, the first Skipper doll was released in 1964, like we said, created as an eight-year-old character. So eight. I always thought Skipper was like 13 or something. Not eight. But, but I mean, anyway. And like Barbie was, I thought, like 25 maybe. But anyway. Yeah, I feel like there's like the time space continuum yeah. in Barbie world does not exist. 
Skipper had a notably more youthful uh, appearance than her big sister Barbie, and Mattel decided that even plastic is not immune to the ravages of puberty. So in 1975, the company released Growing Up Skipper. I feel like I... No, I didn't remember that because I wasn't alive. If you (laughs) But I remember, anyway, different version of Skipper in my brain. If you thought Pregnant Midge was the apex of the weird Barbie anatomy, Growing Up Skipper blows the plastic baby out of the water. So this this situation... This, I think, is a little weirder, to be honest. Yeah. This technological marvel of a doll grew taller and grew boobs when you twisted her left arm. <laughs> <laughs> Rotating her arms backwards reversed like, the changes, so it's like... I love me of, like, that. The Judy Bloom book. Oh, yeah. I'm, like, trying to make yeah. bigger boobs. <laughs> yeah. God, that's totally it. But yeah, growing up, Skipper's packaging described her as transforming from a cute little girl to a tall, curvy teenager, and the commercial called it two dolls in one. Oh, mm-hmm. a two-for-one deal. Man, despite controversy, Mattel created another version of the doll concept called Growing Up Ginger. Maybe I'm thinking of Ginger. In 1976, and the company eventually discontinued the Growing Up Dolls in 1977 because Skipper continued to develop subsequent subsequent versions of the doll. Super Teen Skipper and others created in 1979 um, still had the dolls aged up appearance with. So that's what I'm saying. That's like, I, I think felt which, like yeah. Skipper was older because eight is like little girl. Like that's yeah. what grade? Like three? Yeah. So I think they like obviously started her at age eight and then they did the growing up doll and then they yeah. just like kept her she where was, like, she after her arm was teen. Gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Her arm was pumped up. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah. moving into the rest of the crew, um, there's actually more diversity where we start to get into shifting gears and start to talk about it. So, or a lack thereof. So I think it's actually important now that we talk about the doll test, which is something that I only learned about when doing this research. Mm. Um, but it's pretty infamous. So the doll test was conducted by black psychologists, doctors Kenneth and, and Mammy Clark in the 1940s. And it was an experiment aimed at studying the psychological effects of segregation on black children in the States. This test, conducted on 160 children, consisted of a sheet of paper on which they were outlining drawings of a leaf, an apple, an orange, a mouse, a boy, and a girl. So they were given, these kids were given a box of crayons, um, including the usual assortment of, you know, red, yellow, blue, whatever, and then also black, brown, white, and tan were given to the child. So then each child was asked to color the objects and the mouse in order to determine whether they were, like, they had a stable concept of the relationship of color to the object. Mm-hmm. So then if they, you know, did the apple was red or green or whatever, and the mouse was like brown or gray, um, then they could move on to the next portion mm-hmm. of the test. So if the child passed, as I said, um, they were then told, for example, color this little girl, the color that you are. After this request was complied with, the child was then told now color this little boy color him the color you like little boys to be so then if they was a little boy they would say color this little boy the color that you are and then color this little girl the color that you like little girls to be how old are these kids um they were definitely younger than like 12 or 13 like they were like young kids Hmm. um i can find it and we can it's in in our resources but yeah no we'll find it um yeah. yeah they were they were young um so anyways there were other tests that were conducted. Um, so after that kind of original one into like for over 14 years. Um, and the next test uh, used actually several physical dolls. And so they were, these were all baby dolls and they were all identical except for skin color. And these black children who were aged three to seven uh, were asked to identify which doll they preferred. The results showed that a significant number of black children preferred the white dolls over the black dolls. Moreover, many of them associated positive characteristics with the white dolls and negative attributes to the black dolls. Mm. This experiment had highlighted the damaging impact of racial segregation and discrimination on the self-esteem and perceptions of children, revealing the internalization of societal biases and racial prejudices mm-hmm. among young Black children due to the prevailing segregation and segregated environment. The findings of the doll test played a pivotal role in the Supreme Court's decision to end racial segregation in schools in the landmark case Brown v. Board of Education in 1954. So this is even pre-Barbie. Um, and then with this revelation of the study, the surge of black girl representation became of utter importance to improving the self-worth of black girls across America. Wow. But 
I did not. I've never heard of that. And it's, honestly, I'm glad that happened. And so early, like, yeah, I mean, in the it 1940s, been earlier, but yeah, yeah, in the 1940s for them to care, even care. I'm actually surprised that they care that much about women and their self-worth and just like, mm-hmm. oh, they just have mental problems. Like, let's yeah, just they're always that. Yeah. Um, but no, like this is serious and let's change something yeah. systematic. So, wow. Yeah. Um, that was, that really surprises me, but I'm happy about it. Complaints about Barbie's lack of diversity extended beyond body type, uh, which we'll get into the next episode even more. But many noted that Barbie were, Barbie's world was overwhelmingly white, while her first black friend, Christy, I remember Christy, debuted in 1968. And it wasn't until 1980 that the black, bar- black Barbie doll went on sale. Hmm. That year also saw the debut of a Latina version, Barbie. In 1967, Mattel launched the first African-American Barbie doll named Colored Francie. Mm -hmm. What? Colored Francie was her name? Yeah, because she was the colored version of a regular Francie, I think. What? (laughs) Why? Because it was the 1960s and that was the best they could do. So just let me like back up here. So the first black friend, Christy, was in 1968. So the one before Christy was in 1967. That was colored Francie. She was just like a, she was just like the colored version of the regular Francie. And then the like official new friend, Christy, was in 1968. And then in 1980s, they were like, we're going to give Barbie, like Barbie, Barbie. Like yeah. a, a little bit of a makeover right, and introduced right. diversity. Okay, okay. Now I'm getting it all. Yeah, yeah Piecing yeah. it together. Yeah. So um, the colored Francie, well, like like Lisa said, was based on a white Francie. So this doll lacked... But was Francie called white Francie or was she just called Francie? Let's, let's guess. <laughs> yeah. um, this doll lacked the like distinct African-American characteristics other than dark skin she had the exact same body and facial facial characteristics and everything as barbie um in 1968 mattel then released christy like we said considered the first african-american doll in the barbie range and during the 1960s and early 1970s there was a shift in societal awareness regarding racial diversity and representation so critics started advocating for more authentic and inclusive representation of different races and ethnicities across all toys and media. Um, Barbie's friend Christy was criticized for not representing the African cultural body image and showcasing only one uh, skin color tone. And her features were seen to characterize white standards of beauty. But later, Mattel realized Black Barbie, uh, released, sorry, Black Barbie, and it still had Caucasian features. So they weren't really getting the hint to really make this Barbie authentic. I actually read that they like just like took the cast of white Barbie and were like, just put some like darker skin tone in the plastic and that's what they so they, they just took like a white face which again right. is missing yeah. those features totally. like, those, like that make people unique mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so in 1988 the first latina barbie doll was released like we mentioned named Teresa. she wasn't explicitly latina though because her features were supposed to be ambiguous so she could pass for italian and latina um so originally it was 1983 spanish barbie uh that that face or that sculpt and later implemented a unique face sculpt from there so they really were just trying to like get as many faces in one barbie as possible which is weird because she was every single career under the sun so you'd think she could be every single racial identity but no i that's just so gotta save some pennies they were like this is this is where we're gonna cut it off she can be an astronaut and you know a nascar driver but she will must be white to do all those things. So it wasn't until 1999 that finally it was established that she was um, Latino because of her last name being revealed as Rivera. I hate that they feel like they can get away with, you know, like just putting a, and we're going to talk about this in a second, but like, just like putting like a fancy dress on somebody and being like, this is the Latino mm-hmm. like experience because she's wearing like, some very specific cultural piece of identity like i just i don't know i got such a cop out but. oh totally <laughs> while mattel made strides in the 1980s in terms of empowerment and diversity with black and hispanic barbies the company's attempt at addressing other diverse ethnicities and cultures was more uneven mm-hmm. So in 1981, Mattel released the first East Asian Barbie as part of the Dolls of the World collection. However, the company initially called her Oriental Barbie. Ooh. 
don't they learn like come on oh, they keep doing this no the dolls of the world collection ended in 2014 included dolls from over 50 countries from every continent mm -hmm. but the dolls were always dressed in their traditional garb right of course yes which was sometimes stereotypical and inaccurate mm -hmm. um Arguably, releasing these racially and ethnic ethnically diverse dolls with strictly international dolls served to other certain races and ethnicities within the U.S. market. So while the Dolls of the World collection addressed the global markets outside of the United States, it did not depict the diverse ethnicities and cultures that lived within the United States. Um, and the children, American children, playing uh, with American Barbies, in other words, who had to wait until 2017 for a hijab-wearing Barbie... Um, and 2023 for an Asian American Barbie. What? Yeah. 2023? Well, like, because they had these, like, fancy, like... Yeah, the, like, I, their traditional... Yeah, every, yeah. But instead of it just being, like, a regular human who happened to be, to be like, yeah. Asian American or happened to be, like, wearing a hijab, but they were also an astronaut or, like, they yeah. were also these things. Like, so that I think that's the most interesting thing for me when they, we talk about diversity in Barbie is that it, everything was so othered. So it was yeah. like every other race was considered like a collector's item. Totally. Like yeah. you could collect like Kenyan Barbie and, mm -hmm. and she was wearing like traditional Kenyan garb and you could collect like Chinese Barbie and mm -hmm. she was wearing, but it's like for Chinese little girls and boys and whoever plays with dolls and like Kenyan little girls and boys, it's like, they don't necessarily wear that all the time and like they also totally. want to play soccer and they yeah, also want to like be in the nba yeah the like things that barbie was doing ah. yeah so wow. yeah it's interesting it's like the diversity aspect and we, we will talk about it a little bit more but i think it was just like important to cover that history of where where we oh, started totally very interesting so many yeah pieces yeah so i mean we've talked about the state of the world when she was launched and all the like the political and social climate for women um, when she was introduced we shared a bit about her jobs and her friends and her boyfriends <laughs> her accessories uh, <laughs> her accessories <laughs> so what else is there uh well this is going to be a large series like we said so this is just step one of four um because barbie is huge she has had an enormous impact on our society mm -hmm. in so many ways whether we think about it we totally. take a second to think about it or not but the more we say these things the more i'm like wow this does like the impact mm -hmm. so in part two we're going to talk about the fallout of barbie barbie the bad the ugly and the downright atrocious pieces of it it's gonna be really good uh it's not fun to see these things but like it's fun to read about it and like understand how the like again political societal environment totally shifted and like created this like almost like rage against barbie and like everything mm. she stood for and yeah. everything anyway so that's those are things we're going to be talking about um as always we will include these scary statistics uh, and the scary stories that relate back to barbie and her impact on us but until then follow us on instagram at raiseherco and at scaries.podcast and on tiktok at raiseherco remember that change starts with awareness and action thank you for being a part of the scariest community and making this world a little less scary to exist as a woman. Bye. Bye.